Psalm 45, Part 1 of Expositions on the Book of Psalms, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Expositions on the Book of Psalms, Volume 2 by St. Augustine of Hippo. Psalm 45, Part 1. This psalm, even as we ourselves have been singing with gladness together with you, we would beg you in like manner to consider with attention together with us. For it is sung of the sacred marriage feast, of the bridegroom and the bride, of the king and his people, of the saviour and those who are to be saved. He who comes to the marriage feast with the wedding garment, seeking not his own glory, but that of the bridegroom, does not merely listen with pleasure, as men are wont to do who are seeking after a spectacle, not exhibiting a reality, but also calls upon his own heart not to be idle there, but to shoot forth and to break out, to grow, to go on to maturity, to be accepted. For it is our duty to be such to whom this psalm is sung, the sons of Korah, as the title of the psalm hath it. For these were certain real persons, nevertheless every title in the sacred writings conveys some hidden meaning, and requires not only a hearer, but one to understand it also. For we inquire as to the force of the Hebrew word, what is meant by Korah, and, as the explanations of all the words used in Scripture have it, the answer reported to us is that the sons of Korah is equivalent to the sons of the bald head. This name let us not take in a ludicrous sense, lest haply we should prove ourselves to have but the understanding of children, such children as we read of in the book of Kings, as insulting the holy prophet Elisha, and crying after him, Go up, thou bald head, go up, thou bald head. For those children so foolishly loquacious and cursing to their own ruin were devoured by wild beasts that came out of the wood. This is written, and we have reminded you where it is written, let those who remember it recall it to their minds. Those who remember it not, read it. Those who have not read it, take it on faith. That thing, then, which that past event signified of times to come, ought not to overtake us. For in those children are typified foolish men, having the understanding of ignorance, such as the apostle would fain have us not be, where he says, Be ye not children in understanding. And because the Lord had exhorted us to the imitation of children, when he placed a little one before him and said, Unless one shall be as this child, he shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Even in that very passage, the cautious apostle, while he would have us not be of the understanding of children, yet on the other hand calls us to the imitation of children. Be not children, says he, in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, that in understanding ye may be full grown." Let him who delights to imitate the child delight not in its ignorance, but in its innocence. Now it was from ignorance that those children insulted that bald-headed saint of God, and cried after him, Bald-head, bald-head. It came to pass that they were devoured by wild beasts, and they prefigured those men who with equal childishness of understanding made a mock of a certain bald-headed one, bald-headed, as having been crucified in the place of a skull. These then were possessed by a sort of wild beasts, i.e. by demons, the devil and his angels who work in the children of disobedience. Such children as these were those who stood before the hallowed cross and wagged their heads and said, 
If he be the Son of God, let him come down from the cross. His sons are we, in that we are the children of the bridegroom, and it is to us that this psalm is addressed, whose title has the words, For the sons of Korah, for the things that shall be changed. 2. Why need I explain what is meant by, For the things that shall be changed? Everyone who is himself changed recognizes the meaning of this. Let him who hears this, For the things that shall be changed, consider what was before and what is now. And first let him see the world itself to be changed, lately worshipping idols, now worshipping God, lately serving things that they themselves made, now serving him by whom they themselves were made. Observe at what time the words, for the things that shall be changed, were said. Already by this time the pagans that are left are in dread of the changed state of things, and those who will not suffer themselves to be changed see the churches full, the temples deserted, see crowds here and there solitude. They marvel at the things so changed. Let them read that they were foretold. Let them lend their ears to him who promised it. Let them believe him who fulfills that promise. But each one of us, brethren, also undergoes a change from the old to the new man, from an infidel to a believer, from a thief to a giver of alms, from an adulterer to a man of chastity, from an evildoer to a doer of good. To us, then, be sung the words, For the things that shall be changed, and so let the description of him by whom they were changed begin. 3. For it goes on, for the things that shall be changed to the sons of Korah for understanding, a song for the beloved. For that beloved one was seen by his persecutors, and yet not for understanding. For had they known him, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. In order to this understanding, other eyes were required by him, when he said, He that seeth me seeth my father also. Let the psalm, then, now sound of him. Let us rejoice in the marriage feast, and we shall be with those of whom the marriage is made, who are invited to the marriage, and their very persons invited are the bride herself. For the church is the bride, Christ the bridegroom. There are commonly spoken by scholars certain verses to bridegrooms and brides, called epithalamia. Whatever is sung there is sung in honour of the bride and bridegroom. Is there then no bride-chamber in that marriage-feast to which we are invited? Whence then does another psalm say, He hath set up his tabernacle in the sun, and he is even as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber? The nuptial union is that of the word and the flesh. The bride-chamber of this union, the virgin's womb. For the flesh itself was united to the word, whence also it is said, Henceforth they are not twain, but one flesh. The church was assumed unto him out of the human race, so that the flesh itself, being united to the word, might be the head of the church, and the rest who believe, members of that head. For would you see who has come to the marriage? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Let the bride rejoice as being the object of the love of God. When was she beloved by him? While she was as yet loathsome, for all says the apostle have sinned and come short of the glory of god and again for christ died for the ungodly she was loved while yet loathsome that she might not remain loathsome in truth however it was not in her loathsomeness she was loved because her loathsomeness itself was not loved for if it was this that he loved he would retain this he did away loathsomeness he formed beauty 
What was she when he came to her, and what has he made her now? Let him now himself come in the words of prophecy, yea, let the bridegroom himself now come forth unto us. Let us love him, or rather, let us not love him, if we find anything in him that is not fair. Lo, he himself found many things that were loathsome, and has loved us. Let us not love him, if we find anything that is not fair in him. For, as for the very circumstance that he assumed flesh, so that it was even said of him, We beheld him, and he had no form nor comeliness. If you consider the mercy through which he became man, even in that also he is beautiful, for the prophet was supporting the character of the Jews when he said, We beheld him, and he had no form nor comeliness. Why was it so? Because not viewed in understanding. But to those who understand the words, and the word was made flesh, his beauty is wonderful. But God forbid that I should glory, said one of the friends of the bridegroom, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is not enough for thee not to be ashamed of it, unless thou makest thy boast of it also. Wherefore then had he no form nor comeliness, because Christ crucified is both to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But wherefore had he comeliness even upon the cross? Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. To us, however, now that we are believers, let the bridegroom, wheresoever he is, appear beautiful. He is beautiful as God, the word with God, beautiful in the womb of the virgin, where without losing his divinity he assumed the manhood, beautiful when born, the infant word. For when he was as yet but an infant, whilst he was hanging at the breast, and was yet born in arms, the heavens spoke, the angels gave forth praises, a star directed the wise men. He was adored in the manger, he that is the food of gentle ones. He then is beautiful in heaven, beautiful on earth, beautiful in the womb, beautiful in his parents' hands, beautiful in his miracles, beautiful under the scourge, beautiful when inviting to life, beautiful also when not regarding death, beautiful in laying down his life, beautiful in taking it again, beautiful on the cross, beautiful in the sepulchre, beautiful in heaven. Listen then to the song unto understanding, and let not the weakness of the flesh turn away your eyes from the splendor of his beauty. The highest beauty, the real beauty, is that of righteousness. There, where you find him unrighteous, you will see him not beautiful. If he is righteous every whit, he is also beautiful every whit. Let him then come to us to be beheld by the eyes of our minds, as he is described by a certain prophet who is celebrating his praises. Lo, he begins... 4. Verse 1. Mine heart hath uttered a good word. Who is the speaker? The father or the prophet? For some understand it to be the person of the father, which says, Mine heart hath uttered a good word, intimating to us a certain unspeakable generation. Lest you should haply think something to have been taken unto him, out of which God should beget the son, just as man takes something to himself out of which he begets children, that is to say, a union of marriage, without which man cannot beget offspring. Lest then you should think that God stood in need of any nuptial union to beget the son, he says, Mine heart hath uttered a good word. This very day thine heart, O man, begets a counsel, and requires no wife. By the counsel so born of thine heart, thou buildest something or other, and before that building subsists, 
the design subsists and that which thou art about to produce exists already in that by which thou art going to produce it and thou praisest the fabric that as yet is not existing not yet in the visible form of a building but on the projecting of a design nor does any one else praise thy design unless either thou showest it to him or he sees what thou hast done if then by the word all things were made and the word is of god consider the fabric reared by the word and learn from that building to admire his counsels what manner of word is that by which heaven and earth were made and all the splendour of the heavens all the fertility of the earth the expanse of the sea the wide diffusion of air the brightness of the constellations the light of sun and moon these are visible things rise above these also think of the angels principalities thrones dominions and powers all were made by him how then were these good things made because there was uttered forth a good word by which they were to be made hence it is a good word the word himself was addressed as good master and the word himself made answer why askest thou me of the good there is none good save one that is god good master was what was said to him and he says why askest thou of the good adding also there is none good save one that is god how then is he himself good except that he is god and not only is he good but he is also one god with the father for in saying there is none good save one that is god he did not separate himself from god but declared his oneness with him mine heart hath uttered a good word this may have been spoken by god the father of his good word who is our good and the worker of our good by means of which good alone we ourselves can be in any way good five it proceeds i speak of the things which i have made unto the king is the father still speaking if the father is still speaking let us inquire how this can be understood by us consistently with the true catholic faith i speak of the things that i have made unto the king for if it is the father speaking of his own works to his son our king what works is the father to speak of to the son seeing that all the father's works were made by the son's agency or in the words i speak of my works unto the king does the word i speak itself signify the generation of the son i fear whether this can ever be made intelligible to those slow of comprehension i will nevertheless say it let those who can follow me do so lest if it were left unsaid even those who can follow should not be able we have read where it is said in another psalm god hath spoken once so often has he spoken by the prophets so often by the apostles and in these days by his saints and does he say god has spoken once how can he have spoken but once except with reference to his word but as the mine heart hath uttered a good word was understood by us in the other clause of the generation of the son it seems that a kind of repetition is made in the following sentence so that the mine heart hath uttered a good word which had been already said is repeated in what he is now saying i speak for what does i speak mean i utter a word and whence but from his heart from his very inmost does god utter the word you yourself do not speak anything but what you bring forth from your heart this word of yours which sounds once and passes away is brought forth from no other place and do you wonder that god speaks in this manner but god's speaking is eternal you are speaking something at the present moment because you were silent before or look you you have not yet brought forth your word but when you have begun to bring it forth 
you as it were break silence and bring into being a word that did not exist before it was not so god begat the word god's speaking is without beginning and without end and yet the word he utters is but one let him utter another if what he has spoken shall have passed away but since he by whom it is uttered abideth and that which is uttered abideth and is uttered but once and has no end that very once too is said without beginning and there is no second speaking because that which is said once does not pass away the words mine heart hath uttered a good word then are the same thing with i speak of the things which i have made unto the king why then i speak of the things which i have made because in the word itself are all the works of god for whatever god designed to make in the creation already existed in the word and would not exist in the reality had it not existed in the word just as with you the thing would not exist in the building had it not existed in your design even as it is said in the gospel that which was made in him was life that which was made then was in existence but it had its existence in the word and all the works of god existed there and yet were not as yet works the word however already was and this word was god and was with god and was the son of god and one god with the father i speak of the things i have made unto the king let him hear him speaking who apprehends the word and let him see together with the father the everlasting word in whom exists even the things that are yet to come in whom even those things that are past have not passed away these works of god are in the word as in the word as in the only begotten as in the word of god six what follows then my tongue is the pen of a writer writing rapidly what likeness my brethren what likeness i ask has the tongue of god with a transcriber's pen what resemblance has the rock to christ what likeness does the lamb bear to our saviour or what the lion to the strength of the only begotten yet such comparisons have been made and were they not made we should not be formed to a certain extent by these visible things to the knowledge of the invisible one so then with this mean simile of the pen let us not compare it to his excellent greatness so let us not reject it with contempt for i ask why he compares his tongue to the pen of a writer writing rapidly but how swiftly soever the transcriber writes still it is not comparable to that swiftness of which another psalm says his word runneth very swiftly but it appears to me if human understanding may presume so far that this too may be understood as spoken in the person of the father my tongue is the pen of a writer inasmuch as what is spoken by the tongue sounds once and passes away what is written remains seeing then that god uttereth a word and the word which is uttered does not sound once and pass away but is uttered and yet continues god chose rather to compare this to words written than to sounds but what he added saying of one writing swiftly stimulates the mind unto understanding let it however not slothfully rest here thinking of transcribers or thinking of some kind of quick shorthand writers if it be this it sees in the passage it will be resting there let it think swiftly what is the meaning of that word swiftly the swiftly of god is such that nothing exceeds in swiftness for in writings letter is written after letter syllable after syllable word after word 
nor do we pass to the second except when the first is written out. But there nothing can exceed the swiftness, where there are not several words, and yet there is not anything omitted, since in the one are contained all things. End of Psalm 45, Part 1